Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. The Bible is very clear. It's very clear that it says in Romans 12, uh, 12 that we are to outdo each other in honor, that we should delight in honoring each other. So if you serve at the church, can you just stand up? We just want to clap and say thank you. Come on, stand up. Don't be shy. Stand up. You serve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love our church. I love it. And you're like, man, I want to come to team night. Yo, I can hook you up. We got mission track today. Uh, we have almost 40 people signed up for Mission Track today, and uh, we always budget for more room. We usually get 10 more people just from service saying, man, I want to be a part of this church. Mission Track, all it is is saying, man, I want to be on the team. I've been at this church for one week or one year, and I've realized, man, I want to be a part of this. Uh, what it's, blessed, it's blessed my life, and I want to be a blessing to others. And uh, we, got a, we got a spot for you, I promise. If you like production, we got production. If you uh, love the kiddos, we got kiddos. If you don't love the kiddos but we need help, just go serving the kiddos, okay? Um, you get it. So uh, Mission Track is after second service. We're eating lunch. I, I'll be there. Our whole staff will be there. I teach it. It's the vision and just really uh, shows you how to walk through the door and be a part of this. Does that sound good? Are you ready for the message? Well, this is part two of Wisdom is Needed, and I'm talking about the last days. I'm talking about end times today. Time of message is wisdom is needed in the last days. Now, we established last week that the word wisdom, wise, was 125 times in Proverbs, and the Hebrew word for wise means skilled living. So a wise builder can build with skill. A wise person can build things well. Well, wisdom is needed, skill is needed in the last days. Can I get an amen for that? Now, there's not going to be a lot of funny jokes today because I'm talking about end times. Uh, so I wanted to start with an end times joke. Can I start with a joke? I never do this, but I want to do it today. Can I do it? Okay, let's do it. Okay, here we go. I'm excited for my joke. Okay, here we go. Um, so there's two churches across from each other, and uh, these two churches across from each other, and they both put signs up. And one of the signs on the right side says this, turn yourself around before it's too late. Bam, puts it up. So you're driving by, you see that. Then the other church on the other side wrote this down, the end is near. So this car drives by, and the end is near sign, and turn around before it's too late. It's right there, and the, this car drives by, rolls her window down. You freaks, always talking about the end times. You weirdos, honk, honk. And the pastor's like, oh, geez. And as the car passes, you hear a and a splash into the river. And the pastors look at each other and say, maybe we should just say the bridge is out, turn around. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should just say, bridge out, turn around, please. Uh, you get it, the end is near, because the, the end is the road is near. Turn around before it's too late, because the bridge. If you didn't get it, whew. Okay. Um, there was this season in the church, and there's different pockets, where all they do is talk about end times. All their signs are end times. And if you've been to Mission Church, we don't talk about it a ton. And as I was studying, I was convicted, and I realized I should talk about it a little bit more. And here's why. I want to give you some stats real quick. Uh, one in every 30 verses in the Bible talks about the last days or Christ's return. One in every 30 verses. Let me give you another uh, stat. 23 of the 27 New Testament books talk about it. So there's 27 New Testament books. 23 of them have either the last days uh, talked about or Christ's return talked about. There are 200 plus chapters, 216 chapters in the New Testament. <clears throat> and in those, uh, there are 300 references to the last days and end times. So maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe we should know a little bit about the last days and end times. The Bible throughout is talking about it to make sure that we don't get low to sleep to why we're here and what is going on. 
And it's trying to give us this wisdom so we'd not be surprised, but we prepared. And not only prepared, but we would thrive in the last days. Yeah. Now, I want to get you ready. If you're an end times person or you've you know, read any of those you know, Tim LaHaye books left behind, I'm not going to talk about pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib. I'm not trying to tell you which trib it is. Um, I'm a firm believer in pan-trib. It's all going to pan out. You, ever, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's all good. If there is a bus going back to heaven before everything else, I'm getting on it, okay? Um, I'm down for pre-trib. I'm rooting for pre-trib. Uh, if you don't know what that means, uh, the Bible talks about this seven-year tribulation. Uh, Daniel 6 through 12 touches a lot on it. Revelation, Matthew 24, a little bit of Isaiah. But basically, if you've ever heard anything about end times, uh, when it gets to like the last part of it, basically what's going to happen is there's going to be 10 nations, one world order, the Antichrist will rise. There'll be seven years, three and a half years of great, and then three and a half years of pure hell on earth. And um, a lot of there's between those seven years, a lot of eschatologists believe either we get raptured uh, and rapture is not in the Bible, but carried away is you'll find that in Thessalonians. Some uh, some uh, theologians believe that we get carried away. We get caught up in the clouds, a.k.a. uh, in uh, the first before the first seven years of that happens. Some think it's in the middle of that three and a half years and some think it's at the end. Okay, and the grumpy ones are the ones that think it's at the end, but whatever. Okay, so I'm not here to touch on that. Okay. I'm not here to touch on all the different t- t- uh, uh, terms of like, you know, the thousand year reign, because then if we did that, I have to talk about, are you a post-millennialist, an amillennialist, or pre-millennialist? That, I'm not trying to get in the weeds today. What I'm trying to do is try to hear you, have you hear the heart of why God wants us to know so much about it. So here are the three things I'm going to cover today in why we need wisdom in the last days. Why is he coming back? We're going to answer that question. We're going to find that out today. When is he coming back? We're going to talk about that today. And then last but not least, how do we live till he comes back? Let me read you the first one. Why is he coming back? And I'm going to pray. John 14. So this is what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So last days should not freak us out, okay? Like, don't let it freak you out. We are in the end game. Shout out, Marvel. Okay. Uh, We're in the end game. But if you read the Bible, we win, okay? And we win big. All right? It's amazing, okay? Big, hey, big winner, okay? Powerball's got nothing on end times, okay? Um, Who's got Powerball? Who bought Powerball tickets? Okay. You might buy us a building. You might buy us a building. You might buy us a building. Who else? Anybody else? Anybody else? There we go. Yeah, going once, going twice, going three. Okay. My, my barber said, I bought a ticket, Pastor. If, we, if I win, I'm buying us a building. I was like, buying it. What else are you buying? It's, it's 1.6 billion. Keep going. We're going to buy some orphanages with that? Okay, guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> so don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He's talking to me. I'm I'm leaving. But he's telling him, I want you to let him come back. He goes, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. The end times is not about the fury of God. The end times is about the family of God. It it is not this mean thing. Now, is there going to be battles? Yes. Is there going to be this big old battle of Megiddo? Napoleon once pointed, it's in Israel, this big old valley. And he said, this will be a place for a great battle one day. And the, the, uh, the uh, you know, the end times prophecies talk about Gog and Magog. They're two nations from the east. They're going to come to Israel and try to destroy everything. And then the heavens open, and then Jesus on a white horse, robe dipped in blood, king of kings, lord of lords, eyes of fire, sword coming out of his mouth. Not the Jesus you've seen in the painting lately, have you? Um, and then Liddy comes out and just, <laughs> victory. It says Liddy destroys all of Satan's army. Blood up to a horse's neck, 180 miles long, into the Nile River. We're not talking about that today, thank goodness. <laughs> It's got intense. But if you hear about end times, you think it's about the fury of God. But the only reason why Jesus is coming back to destroy the gates of hell and to destroy the enemy for like final forever is simply this, because he wants his family. He's sick and tired of what 
sin and darkness has done to his family. He says, I'm coming back, and here's why I want him coming to get you. So we can just hang out. Sit, so we can party. That's literally, that's literally the, the, the heart of God's coming back for his church. And he t- talks about building a new heaven and a new earth. So don't think you're going up to some place in heaven, you're going to be on clouds the whole time, you know, like, like hopping cloud to cloud. Literally, the Garden of Eden is what we, we lost, and we forfeited in sin, and Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to redeem what we forfeited, and redeem it, and we're going to have a better Garden of Eden. Yeah. That Garden of Eden will have golf courses. Come on now. And the only difference about those golf courses is we'll birdie every single hole. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. Hallelujah! All right. I, can, I never screamed hallelujah from the platform. That was weird. Um, but when it comes to golf, you know... So as I teach these things, I just want you to calibrate your spirit that if you have said yes to Jesus, this is such a sweet promise. The reason why I loved eschatology and I studied so much of it as a young believer is it just strengthened my faith. Thousands of prophecies in the Bible that have come to fruition. Prophecies that you never would think that could come to fruition. I, mean, I remember studying you know, about the Noah's flood. I was like, hold on, did that really happen? And you find out science proved that the flood actually happened, that the whole earth was flooded. The more and more you study the Word of God, you're not going to have your faith weakened. It's going to be strengthened. And so my prayer today, as I go in the next two points, I'm going to pray, is that as you hear these things, I'm believing God's going to do something in your heart, and there is going to be a sense of urgency on how you're supposed to live for the rest of your life. The book of James says our life is but a mist. (laughs) Maybe, just maybe, if the Bible says your life is but a mist, you better be very, very intentional about every step and every breath you take. Will you bow your heads with me? God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. We thank you for the joy that is in this house. We thank you that you are using us in the Bay Area. Oh, Lord, when we planted Mission Church in the Bay Area, people said, ooh, you shouldn't go there. Well, God, I'm glad they didn't direct my steps. God, I'm glad they didn't direct these people's steps. God, you believe for great things in the Bay Area. God, you're going to do great things in the Bay Area. So, God, in the name of Jesus, in this time, at this message, would you do something we've never seen? May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? All right, so... Uh, we talked about why is he coming back. Now, when is he coming back? Matthew 24 is this amazing uh, chapter where uh, Jesus been, is ending his ministry. The disciples know. So they ask him this question. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately. Like one of those private conversations. You ever be like, hey, can we, can we talk real quick? Door shut. You know, the disciples are like, hey, I don't want the crowd to hear this. We better, this, is, this is a disciple and, uh, you know, Jesus conversation. So shut the door. He goes, tell us when all this will happen. Because you start talking about the end times. Uh, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Stop. So forever, people have been talking about, we're in the last days. You know, there's been books, 1989, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989, okay? Billboards, 2020s, da-da-da, Jesus is coming back. I'm not here to tell you the time or anything like that. I'm just here to show you that Jesus actually did show us things to keep our eyes open to as the birth pains. Now, I've never had a baby, okay? Uh, and when I was playing the church, I'm like, I feel like birth, playing a church is like birthing a baby. And I quickly stopped using that terminology because every woman who's had a baby is like, no, it's not, Tyler. No, it's not. <laughs> You have no idea what you're talking about, okay? So I don't even like using birthing illustrations because I say it wrong or I say it incorrectly because I'm a dude and I've never had a baby. But what this illustration saying is, is that the birth pains, I've never had contractions, but I've heard, I've heard that they start spaced out and they're painful and the closer you get to having a baby, they get quicker and stronger as it goes on. Is that correct? 
okay. It's the only thing I'm going to say about, uh, okay. So, so what Jesus is saying is there are birth pains starting. The, you see in Acts, it says the last days start in Acts. So the birth pains were there, not as frequent and not as big, but there would be birth pains. There would be earthquakes. There would be wars. And watch these. But as it gets closer and closer and closer, those would become more frequent to where you're like, wow, the baby is coming now. Let me just show you an earthquake graph of the big earthquakes and how it's working in our, uh, in our culture. I think I sent some pictures. Are the pictures in there? This would be really sad. Hey, all right. So just check this out. So 1901, earthquakes. Okay, I said there would be earthquakes. Okay, we have our contractions. And for some reason, in 2000, it started just one little sign. God says, watch what happens in the earth. And as the earth starts to have these kind of pains and they become more frequent, maybe, just maybe, just be ready for me to come. So that's just the first one. Put that down. You know when I preach, this is usually how people are like when I'm, uh, when I'm preaching. <laughs> this is people today. <laughs> what? What? Okay. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, that's just the first one. Okay, uh, another one. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 9, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. <laughs> if you're brand new to our church your first time, I'm sorry. Okay? I'm kidding. This is going to be a good day for you. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. You know, when we read um, end times and end time prophecies, we always make it a very American centrist, you know? Like one of the prophecies in Revelation is that, you know, there you will know, be the mark of the beast, to buy, sell, and trade. Revelation 6 says, wisdom is needed here, by the way. Wisdom is needed to understand what to do in the end times. It says that in Revelation 6. And it goes on to talk about uh, that a, a day's wage would only buy you a loaf of bread. That like in the end times when this, this is happening, like you'd have to work a day's wage for a loaf of bread. Just so you know, that is happening throughout the earth right now, just not in America. But we're like, well, it hasn't happened in America, then we're not close. That's not how this works, okay? Um, something you should know is just this last year, 100,000 uh, Christian martyrs died advancing the gospel. That people, if you're not in America and a lot of other nations, and that's a conservative number, by the way, people are going out into the world, sharing the gospel, and because they believe in Jesus, they are hated, they are persecuted, and they are killed. And it says, as this happens, it's going to become more and more frequent. And if I could be honest, I, when it talks about what's going to happen in the earth, in the end times, I get nervous for the American church. Because if we have to drive five extra minutes to church, we don't know if we're going to church let alone if we have to experience real pain and tribulation to advance the kingdom of God. So as a pastor, I feel this newfound urgency to prepare you and to prepare I. It may get inconvenient to be a Christian a little bit. Now, speaking of people in the Bay Area, it already is inconvenient, let's just be honest. You know, in Alabama, Texas, it's totally different. Um, even if you go rewind 100 years ago, uh, uh, it was called Christendom in America. And, and if you're going to get a home loan or a car loan, you actually wrote down what church you went to to get your loan. It was beneficial to go to church. Now it's like when people ask you what you do or if you go to church, sometimes like, do I tell them? Because they might hate me because I'm like, because there's just people who have this idea of what a Christian is, but they don't actually know who Jesus is. I remember when uh, Chris Pratt came out and said he was a Christian. So many people hated him. Oh, you're part of a hate movement. He's like, what are you talking about? It's amazing when you just say Christian and what it does to people. So that's one of the first uh, signs. We're going to get into this. It's going to be good. Next one, false prophets will produce a terrible world. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to tell you the time, but I'm going to give you signs to just be aware of it. Just like when clouds come in and it starts to look gray and a little bit of drizzle, you go get a raincoat. Can we agree with that? Jesus said, I'm going to show you when the, when the clouds get a little gray, when it starts to get a little drizzly, just start putting your raincoat on. Start praying and getting ready. So he says this next one, he goes, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. 
Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Can we just agree that like the love of this, like, uh, of this world has gotten a lot colder? Even with cancel culture, grace, kindness, it is just people are quick. Even politics. I think one reason why politics are the way they are now is love has grown cold. It has made us polarize. When there is no love, it separates. And so um, I'm going to share some stats with you real quick. So whenever I heard this as a, as a, a young believer, you know, there'd be many uh, false prophets. I always pictured like these huge movements of like some like crazy dude who is charismatic and be like, we have a new religion. Our religion is uh, dancing and we dance. And like, like people like, like falling like into this, like, you know, thing or Scientology, you know, like, Hey, we, uh, you know, I'm not gonna make fun of Scientology, but Scientology is a cult. Um, and so I always pictured all the false prophets being like a Scientology one, you know, Ron Hubbard who wrote a, just a book and then, you know, um, preyed on people and, and, and basically ingratiated them. And then if you leave, they're going to punish you. I always pictured that to be all the false prophets. Can I just share some stats real quick? I think we have them. Can you put on the thing about the uh, 1927, 94, the builder generation, the boomer generation? So here, check this out. We're gonna go side by side. So 1927, 1945, the builder generation. Uh, 65% of them were Bible-based believers. Now go to the next one. 1946 to 1964, the boomers. The boomers. Uh, 35% of them were Bible-based believers. Go to the next one. 1965 to 1983, the Bustas. I like the Busta generation. They call you Gen X. I'm a Busta, okay? I just think it's a cool name for it. I wish I would have been that one, but I'm a millennial. Uh, oh, no, I'm a Buster. I'm 82. What? <laughs> this whole time I thought I was a millennial. I got to check those numbers. Okay. Um, okay, so 19, I'm a Buster. Okay, so uh, uh, Gen X, uh, 16% are Bible-based believers. Go to the next one. 1984 to present, millennials, Gen Z, and so on. 2% are Bible-based believers. You're like, that's too low of a stat, 2% Bible-based believers. Let me read you a Barna study, also another study that came out of Arizona Christian University. There's 61% of American millennials consider themselves believers, or consider themselves to be Christians. So 61% consider themselves to be Christians. But just 2% of them were found to hold the biblical view. So according to a recent study, this is released by Cultural Research at Center of uh, Arizona Christian University, and Barna also studied this and it came out. So this is what this last study shows in this last generation. That 61% say, I'm a Christian, but only 2% of that 61% actually believe what the Bible says and lives what the Bible says and preach what the Bible says. That means that there's 59% false prophets walking around saying, I'm a Christian, I'll tell you how to live, who to live for, what you should live for. And you'll hear Christians, people say the Christians say, hey, your truth is your truth. Whatever your truth is, just do it. If it makes you feel good, just do it. And these are Christians, that part of the Bible, I just threw that part of the Bible out. And so, so what has happened is, is it's saying many false prophets would permeate the earth and give a new way to live and give new truth and people would follow them and they would produce a world that where sin would be rampant and love would grow cold. 2% of millennials actually hold to the Bible. So I wanted to tell you something real quick, Mission Church. Mission Church, we hold to the Bible here. Yeah. We aren't tearing out pages. We aren't trying to say, do whatever feels good to you. The reality is, is that if you are led by your feelings, the Bible says your heart is so deceitful above all things. Yeah. And you're going to listen to that? <laughs> I don't want to listen to that. But what Jesus is saying is that as we get towards the end days, that many false prophets would rise up and it would produce a world. Let's be a generation that holds the Bible still. Amen? All right, so that's the next sign. So um, let's keep going. Uh, knowledge will increase. This is an interesting one, Matthew 24. 
The day is coming when you will see what uh, uh, Daniel, the prophet, spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration to stay in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Woo! Okay, so reader, pay attention. Um, now, some of what Daniel talked about, if you know the book of Daniel, uh, we actually preached uh, on Daniel um, last year, and we did the first six chapters. It's an amazing part uh, of Daniel. It's, it's so many things to learn about, uh, how to navigate in just a Babylon uh, society. But then the last six chapters of Daniel, 7 through 12, they're all eschatology. They're all end time. And so Jesus refers back to, hey, you know all the things that Daniel talked about in, in, uh, in, in his book, the, the 6 or 12, the, the 10 horns that represent the 10 nations and the Antichrist and everything he's going to do, uh, all the prophecies he put, go back to Daniel because those are a lot of the signs that are going to ha- come to fruition. And one of the things that Daniel says that's going to happen uh, when we get close to the last days and the, and the birth pains get quicker and quicker is that knowledge would increase. I want to read it to you. It's Daniel 12, 3 through 5. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the, uh, time of the end when many will rush in here, and knowledge will increase. That word increase is daga in Hebrew. It means very rapidly. Like knowledge would be unbelievable. Um, I can't even give you a word that would uh, uh, do it. Like uh, if you uh, left bunnies to their demise in a room, and they'd fill the room up really fast. Like, like it's a, and it's kind of one of the pictures. I'm not, that's not me using that. That's actually one of the descriptions in the Hebrew description of that word dagalic. Dagalic, animals who know how to reproduce faster than other animals. They, they would be daga animals. And so, so daga is very rapid. Okay? And so um, now I came across this statement from the Google CEO and this study that they shared at one of the things. They're just talking about how you know, we're in the information age. Can we agree with that? Information age. We need to be in the wisdom age, but we're in the information age. And one of the things he shared about the information age, because of course we're Googling, everybody searches for things, is from the beginning of mankind's birth till 2003, we had five exabytes of information, data, knowledge acquired. Now, what's an exabyte? It's a billion gigabytes. So five billion gigabytes of information, knowledge at the year 2003 was acquired all the books, everything, you know, internet's now around, so all of it was acquired, and that, that's how much information, knowledge was acquired in 2003. Five billion gigabytes, five exabytes. He goes on to share in his speech, just even Google it. Google CEO shares information, uh, exabytes, and just article after article is fascinating. He goes on to share in this talk that now, every two days, we acquire five billion gigabytes of information. I can't even comprehend that. From some zero to 2003, it took us that long to have knowledge and to acquire knowledge, to seek out knowledge, to the way that, that was, you know, you can even say how man was advancing. But now, every two days, we acquire that much information like that. Wow. With AI, with the internet, with how connected the world is, we are now advancing in knowledge and information, daga, rapidly. Let's just process this real quick. For thousands and thousands of years, this is what we use for transportation. Put a horse up. <laughs> Boom. That's what we had. That's it. Okay? And then now look what we're doing. Go. SpaceX, shout out Elon Musk. Um, that's the one that's going to take all of us to Mars. It's going to be great. Okay. Um, so. I don't think the Mars thing is going to work, but I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy. I just, I just don't see it happening. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a cool space shuttle. Um, so this is what that verse is saying. So do you think for thousands of years, mankind was just like, oh, and we just got smart? The Bible says that when the times get near, God is going to release knowledge. And Daniel 12 says he's going to release knowledge to mankind. And because he released knowledge, it's going to increase rapidly. 
He is going to allow things. Now, now here's why. Because if you actually read through Revelation, there are these prophecies in Revelation that are just fascinating. It said, when the two prophets come down and start prophesying, and most people believe it's uh, Moses uh, and Elijah, and uh, they um, uh, will be prophesying, and then they will be killed. And it says that the whole earth will see this happen. Never have we been in a time where because of now TV and satellite and everything and internet, that we could, the whole world could see that happen. But because knowledge has increased, there's so many things that are happening. Like, the, uh, I'm going to read in just a second that the gospel is going to go forth. Before, how could you get the gospel to every single nation? We can put a whole Bible college on a little, you know, um, little stick drive and walk into a tribe and literally start creating disciples and sharing the gospel there. It's an amazing thing. God breathed knowledge, and this one of the signs, again, five billion uh, uh, exabytes, five exabytes every two days. Um, amazing. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, next one, people will be distracted. Here's another sign of the, uh, of the end times. People will be distracted. Uh, when the Son of Man returns, he keeps on uh, telling more signs, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time of Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So imagine this. You're in a desert, and you know Noah, and there is a 400-plus-foot boat right there in the desert just sitting there. And Noah's building it for, it takes him like, I think, 120 years to build the boat, by the way. It takes, like, forever to build the boat. And so this boat is being built in front of you, and every day you're just like, oh, hey, what's up, Noah? You walk by 10 years later, wow, that, that's a big old thing. Piece of wood. Hey, what's up, Noah? Good to see you. Good to see you. I got to go. My, my daughter's getting married. I'll talk to you later, you know. Oh, hey, what's up, Noah? No, I got a new promotion. Didn't know if you knew that. All right, talk to you later, Noah. Okay, yeah, yeah. You come back. Hey, Noah, guess what? Do you think the, war, I mean, the Lakers are going to be good this year? Uh, Russell Westbrook, is he going to work? I don't know. Okay, see you later, Noah. You know, da, da, da. Oh, my gosh, hey, the Warriors, they're three and seven. Are, are they done, Lord? I don't know. Maybe. Okay, hey, Noah, good to see you again. Like, Basically, you're walking by this boat that's in front of your face, and you're talking, man, the stock market. Noah, did you see the stock market yesterday? It's down 30%. 30%, Noah. Uh, good, good job building that thing you're doing. Okay, see you later, Noah. Over and over again, you're just talking about it. Noah, you, you going to come over and watch The Bachelor with us? Bachelorette? One, okay, never mind, Noah. See you later. Oh, wow, that, that's almost done, Noah. That looks pretty cool. Okay, very, very cool. You know, you're walking up, you know. And then Noah's loading animals in, zebras. He's like, hey, you're a big animal guy. I know. See you later, Noah. All right. All right. All right. We're going to take the kids to the Wild Waves Park, you know, a little Disneyland. See you later. And then all of the blue, a flood comes. And you're like, I didn't see it coming. And what he's saying is, is that when it's the last days, that all of these signs, knowledge increasing, wickedness, false prophets, all of the things that the Bible tells you that's going to happen, the contraction, the earthquakes becoming more, nations, famine, all those kind of things, there'll be like a big old boat in front of your face, and you'll just be walking by, hey, I know, I know, I get it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the world's going to crap, whatever, I don't know what that means, but it's going to crap, you know, this is what it is, you know, oh yeah, knowledge is increasing, okay, whatever that means, it is a huge boat staring in the face saying, a flood is coming, you better get ready. Yeah. Now, the promise is there won't be another flood. A fire's coming, actually. It's going to be fire. But if you're a believer and you believe in pre-trib, you're good. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, let's keep going. Okay, so... Sorry. If I, if I could just communicate this to you real quick. It is amazing to me how distracted we are as a people. I could go... I, could, I, could, I mean, this will be a... We'll do a six-week series, seven-week series. I don't like the number six. Seven-week series. Um, this will be a seven-week series... Uh, eventually, because, I mean, if you read in Revelation, it says that Jezebel 
the Jezebel spirit. Now, if you know anything about Jezebel, Jezebel was this woman who was controlling King Ahab and just creating idol worship and just, uh, you know, trying to destroy Christians. It, the, there's very few people and very few spirits that are referenced in the Bible, but it says the Jezebel spirit would flood the church in the end times. That the Jezebel spirit would come and flood, flood the church. What would Jezebel flood the church with? Well, she would flood it with the same thing she did in the times of kings and Ahab, flood with idols and distraction. Ahab was always so distracted of why he was supposed to be king and what he was supposed to do. And so it says that Jezebel would come and just distract you. Don't look at the boat. Look at the idol. Don't look at the boat. Focus on the promotion. Don't look at the boat. Focus on what's going on in politics. Don't look at the boat. Because uh, when we see the Lord, we can say, Lord, I wasn't paying attention, but I got that promotion. Are you proud of me? Oh, may we please understand the enemy is trying to flood us with distraction. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the gospel will be preached to the whole world. Here's another one. He says, Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end uh, will come. That word nations doesn't mean like nations, like, uh, like a country. It literally means ethnos. It means people group. Um, if you don't know anything about uh, how many people groups we have in our world, we have 190 nations, but we have 12,000 plus people groups. Uh, India alone has 1,000 plus people groups. And so when you look at what's happening right now, the evangelical movement in the church there are, I don't even know how many tribes left, uh, but we're basically reaching unknown tribes at a rapid rate that we've never done before. And there's so many reasons why. One is the church now has become a generous thing. To, you know, we're, we're working together with organizations. Technology has made it easier. Travel has made it easier. There are people, of course, were pathfinders back in the day, like Hudson Taylor to China. China, if you didn't know that, just today, China's going to have 35,000 people saved. Boom, just like that. They had no, no salvations, and now 10% of China, 10% of 2 billion is a lot, People now know the Lord. The, the, the gospel is going forth. So, so Jesus says, watch when the whole earth is starting to see the, the gospel advance. So that's another one. Uh, and this is a, a big one, and then we'll go into um, uh, uh, the fun part. This was just the signs, and then we'll talk about how do we live in the last day. Uh, Israel becoming a nation. And now it says this in Matthew 24. Here's another uh, a sign that we're supposed to look at. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. Everybody say near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know this, uh, his return is very near, right at the door. This is the closest Jesus gets to getting really specific. He says, when the, when the fig tree uh, blossoms, he goes, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. So, so... This is where you get eschatology and, you know, you can have different theologians, but uh, majority of theologians, and you look throughout the Bible, if you see, there's symbolism everywhere, of course. So horns, especially when it comes to like uh, eschatology, you'll see it in Daniel, represent nations. But you look throughout Hosea and different parts of scripture throughout, a fig and a fig tree represented Israel. And what Matthew 24 is saying is when Israel blossoms, okay, when Israel becomes a nation, we are very close. Basically, if this was like a sand glass, when Israel became a nation in 1948, we are near. And that's, that, that, and again, like, if you're somebody, you're like, no, I don't, it just means fig tree. Yeah, because Jesus was just talking about a tree just now. But, but again, you can find that one theologian will say that, but the majority of theologians will point to, and they point to all the scriptures that when, when God's talking about um, Israel in Hosea, it's like, oh, you could be a beautiful fig tree if you would just let me nurture you. And Luke, he talks about them being a fig tree. He even talks about it as in his ministry, he talks about uh, Israel being a fig tree. And so what he's saying is when Israel becomes a nation, you better be ready. 
And it's amazing when Israel became a nation, how many things now have came after that with, you know, knowledge increasing, the, the generations becoming false prophets. It's amazing how much things have ramped up since then. All right, so uh, let's go to the, uh, the fun part, okay? Um, I had another one, but this is a bonus material. I was just going to write, people forget God. That's in 2 Peter 3. Um, I'll read that some other time when we do the series. Uh, <clears throat> but let's, uh, let's, let's focus on part two of this. How do we live till he comes back? Now, a lot of people focus on this all the time. When? When? I don't believe we need to know the day and time, but you need to know what to do with the time that you have. A lot of us want to know the time. Well, tell me the time. No, you need to know what you have with the time you have. Are these the last days? I don't know, but I know this. They're your only days. They're your only missed. And I want us to be a church that operates in wisdom. And I want you to hear this real quick. Uh, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, there was this tribe. And churches, they call them tribes sometimes. What's your tribe? What's your people? But there was this tribe. And from the tribe of Iskar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Man, I want to be that kind of church. I want us to understand the signs of the times and understand the best course to take. I want us to be a wise church and go, I get it. The enemy is trying to distract us with us hating each other with politics while the mission is right in front of us to reach a lost world. I want us to understand what's going on with everything becoming so rampant and the attack on the word of God. Because if you don't, if I can just say this real quick, if you say you're a Christian but you don't believe the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. He is the logos. He is the living word. His flesh became, like, the word became flesh. So if you're saying you're, you believe Jesus but don't believe the word, that makes no sense. You're creating a new religion. You're getting rid of Jesus and creating a new Jesus. There's a lot of what I call Buddhist Christians, and they just do it, just, just, you know, put good vibes out there and receive good vibes and just, just be you and love the Lord, love people, and, and they just come right back to you. I'm like, that's not the Bible. Okay, so, sorry, I just went off. Okay, wait, okay so um, I'm going to give you seven ways that we should live in the last days <clears throat> with these signs of times, and here's the first way that we need to live as a church. You must, I must have a clear vision for my life. 62% of believers believe that the end time is near, but only 8% are actually living differently because of it. There's another stat for you. So who here believes that the, we're, you know, in the last days? Raise your hand. Okay, pretty good. Some of you are a little stubborn. I'm not convinced yet. It's cool. Give me some time. All right. <clears throat> but are you going to live different because of it? What is the vision for your life? You need to have a clear vision for life. Paul says this to the church of Philippi. With tears in his eyes, he says, I want to read this to you. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. I can relate with this, Paul, right quick. Saying the same thing to believers and nothing changing yet. Oh, and to be honest, I'm down with it. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep telling you to put God first. I'm going to keep telling you to love and forgive people. And eventually it's going to seep down your heart, and your lives are going to be changed, and you're going to be blessed because of it. That's why I love the church. For I told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. They're heading for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. When you read the Bible, do you ever like, like, you're like I do this all the time. Maybe you don't, but like here I go. They're heading for destruction. Ooh, I don't like that. That's not me, God. Thank goodness, you know. Their God is their appetite. That's not me, God. I'm listening to you. My appetite's not my God. They brag about shameful things. I don't brag about shameful things, God. I'm, I'm, I'm good. They only think about life on this earth. Oh, dang it. Dang it. Dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. That's me. Anybody here, do you think about earth a lot? Your life on earth? Raise your hand. It's okay. Uh, your pastor does. And the reality is, 
is that this is something that will lead you to destruction if you only think about life here on earth. So what does he say to this? But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. I don't know about you, but when I had a wedding date on the calendar, and I knew a wedding was coming for Rachel and I, I changed the way I lived. Rachel and I was like, I remember when I got, I remember when I proposed to Rachel, Lake Arrowhead, best decision of my life, I love you baby girl. Um, we're in Lake Arrowhead, and I remember getting on one knee, and I asked Rachel, will you marry me? She said yes, and and I remember, like, within, like, uh, like a few days, we, we picked the wedding day. We're like, we can't do this, like, like so we, 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 uh, we got, we're going to get married in five months. I was like, we're going to get married in five months. I remember getting in my, in, my, in my office at the church I was working at. I remember getting the calendar. And I remember just counting all the weeks. And I remember going, okay, I have five months to get ripped for my wedding day. That's <laughs> all I cared about. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, like, I told her whole office, we're not eating unhealthy. Don't you bring no snacks in this office. I'm getting married in five months, and I'm going to look good in my suit, you know. And so I remember, like, counting on the days. I, was, I got all these fitness apps, and, and um, I became a, um, a member at LA Fitness right across from the church I was at at the time. And for five months, I was working out. I was eating eggs for dinner um, or, or like, um, like, a light, like, healthy soup, and that was it. And I was, to be honest, I, the Johnsons, our weight fluctuates a lot, Okay. If you've been going to my church, you're like, Ty, you look a lot uh, fitter. I know, just give me time. I'll get back to being cushy again. It's all good. It's just what we do, okay? I'm just all over the place. So, like, when Rachel and I got engaged, I was like, you know, like 225. When we got married, I got 198 pure steel and just sex appeal. What's up? Did I say that? I did. You're allowed to when you're married. We're going to do Song of Psalms. It's called worship. Shout out. We got done for our team night on Friday, uh, on Wednesday night, and I was wearing my suit, and Rachel's like, you look so freaking hot in that suit. And I was like, this is my wedding suit, girl. You know what I'm saying? So, straight up. Okay, anyways, that's too much information. Okay, sorry. Skin weird! Skin weird! Here's the deal. Once you find out that there is a wedding day, you live differently. We all do. You go shopping. You go find the dress. It is what it is. And what Paul is saying is, hey, there is a bride and there is a groom, and he is coming back, and you should live differently because of it. You should prepare differently. You should think differently. You should be spiritually fit. You shouldn't get spiritually lazy. You should get ready for that day. So maybe, just maybe, you should understand the day is coming. Start living differently. Okay? So that's the first one. We need a clear vision for our life. Second one is you must have a clear mission for your life. So nice to have a vision. So it's kind of like the vision is what could be and should be. The mission's how you get there. The mission's how you live it out. A lot of people have a good idea, but they don't know how to get to that idea. And so Jesus is always given vision, but he's always giving you the mission on how to get there, how to live the life you're supposed to live, how to have the fulfillment you're supposed to live. And he gave the mission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out here for a second. This is the, the crux of the message. You know, I have five more after this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of age. I said this in my sermon today. If you have lived to bring one sinner to Christ, you have not lived in vain, Charles Spurgeon. You know, a lot of people, you know, especially when they get in church, especially like, I'm going to be honest, like the, the stuffy Christians that are always like, uh, you know, like they don't care about evangelism, they care about discipleship. I'm like, you can't disciple if you don't evangelize. It's a false dichotomy. You got to keep it together. You can't clean the fish if you don't catch the fish. Sanctification is us getting clean from sin. And so the, what, what Jesus said, our mission is, why we are alive is to lead people to him and then to 
disciple them and make them live a life that would uh, glorify him and also bless them. That is, that's, that's our mission. You know what I like about Jesus? He didn't give us five. He was like, oh yeah, and this one too. Oh, I forgot about that. No, that's it. It's amazing. It's like when you're a little kid and your parents tell you to clean your room and they come up and you built a fort and all your, your action figures are doing war. You know, and your parents walk out like, I just told, you had one job, clean your room. And you did the opposite. Like, I, I was confused. How? How? There's one job, not five. The reality is we do that all the time. We're making a fort right here on earth and fire is going to burn that fort up, by the way. We can't bring any of this stuff with us. And so maybe, just maybe, you should start living out your mission. I'm telling you, the enemy has lied to you if this is not making your heart leap. If you are not excited to live out this part of the mission, the enemy still has his talents in tricking you, thinking that living for the world is better. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, your eyes would be opened to how great your life would be if you live for Jesus. Now, I want to I read you a prayer from a man who had his eyes open to the greatest privilege was living for God. David said this in Psalm 119, 133. This was his prayer for his mission in his life. Order my steps in thy word and let not my iniquity have dominion over me. This is not a prayer of an unconverted man. This is a prayer of a man's eyes being opened. He said, order my steps. I don't know about you, but a great life, a beautiful life is no work of chance. It is a masterpiece of order. A beautiful life, a great life is a masterpiece of somebody who's ordered their life correctly. And you got to hear this prayer. He's saying, order my life. The, the other translation would say, direct my life, set it straight, appoint my life, firmly establish my life, rightly frame my steps. Nature screams at us how important order is. When we start to get the things out of order in nature, everything starts to die. It, let's just be, let's be this way. Have you been in a house and you've seen a house out of order? It just, it screams at you. It doesn't feel good. If the kids are running the house, it's not an enjoyable house to be in. Even when you trick yourself and think out of order feels good. Like being a young person, eating dessert for uh, breakfast. It's fun for a season until you're sick and you got diabetes. Again, life out of order will scream to you eventually. And David's eyes were open. He said, order my steps. Oh, order my steps. Let's go through this prayer real quick. So, so he said, order my steps. He tells me, he goes, I want you to be my king. I want your steps in thy word. He, he's, he's saying, whatever your word says, king, I will say. A king is enlisting to be under the great king. Now, David was the king of Israel. I'm going to be honest. You're the king of your house. You're the king of your schedule. Y'all kings and queens. You may not say it, but you sure do act like it. Okay? You get your order wrong at a restaurant. You act like royalty more than people did in the 1500s in France. Uh, excuse me. I ordered none of this on top of this. Remake it. You, know? you got it, Miss Queen and Mr. King. I mean, literally, like, we act like royalty. And this king understood something. He needed a greater king. And he says, I enlist myself in your words, not my own words. Because I, I want to read you this real quick. Where did I write it? This is a little thing I wrote to myself. Reminding me, Lord, that every step, every step a man takes in his life, remember, is a step towards heaven or a step towards hell. Let me read you this again. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. His prayer is this. I am not asking you to lead my week. I'm not asking you to lead my day. I'm not asking you to lead my hour. I'm asking you to lead my every step. Because he under a beautiful life is made in the details. A beautiful life is in the little steps 
every day of walking towards the things God would want you to walk towards. And David understood this in the mission of his life. He said, every step, because if I don't have you direct my steps, I know my iniquities. I know my weaknesses. I know my proclivities. I know my, 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 my sin. And my sin will just have me rush on over to these kind of things. Lord, would you guide my every single step? May you write it down when you leave. Psalm 119, 133. May that be your prayer in this next season. Order my steps, God. All right, let's go to the third step. Uh, the third thing is, let's love people well. Let's love people. I, everybody in here who is a deba- debater on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, how much fruit have you seen? Anybody at church because of it? Hey, I was telling this person they were wrong on Instagram. They came to Jesus. Has it, has it worked for you? Is there any fruit? The Bible says that there is no fruit. It actually says if you correct a mocker, they'll hate you for it. But the Bible does say this in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We need love to cover what is rampant right now in this nation. Love should not be a thing that we do conditionally. That should be a focus of ours. Let's love people well. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So let's love people well. I'm going to keep going. Point four. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, these ones are quick. <clears throat> let's make a difference. Let's make a difference. They do these surveys, these studies. And uh, they, uh, they grab these um, group of 90-year-olds, and study after study, they always ask these 90-year-olds, if you could relive your life, what would you do differently? And so these 90-year-olds give answer after answer, and over and over again, they get these top four answers, always, every single time, in every survey, every study, here's the, here's the four. First one they say is, I would invest in relationships. If I could go back over my 90 years, I would prioritize relationships. Can I just tell you real quick, any of you investors, you know, return on investment, it's all good. Let me teach you about a new term, not ROI. Let me teach you, teach you E-R-O-I, eternal return on investment. A lot of us know worldly return on investment, but none of us understand eternal return on investment. Because here's the second thing they said they would do if they, uh, uh, if they could live uh, their 90 years again. I would do more things that would outlive me. I would live for eternal things. I would, live the, I would, I would leave a legacy with my life. Another thing they say is I would reflect more. And the, the fourth thing is I would risk more. Some of you, the reason why you won't live for God is you just won't risk. So let me read you this in, in, in Peter. Let's make a difference. First Peter uh, 4, 9 through 11, 4, 10 through 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace, grace was given to you, was given to me to be given in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it so with the strength of God provides. So then all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. And amen. Peter is talking about the last days in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And he's saying, hey, if you're going to be on this earth, make a difference. All of us have a grace. Grace is, you are, you, there's two types of graces. Uh, so one of them is your charis, the unique way that you are knitted. That God knitted you in a certain way. You, if, if you're quiet and reserved, God knitted you on purpose that way and is going to use that grace to glorify his name. If you are loud and a big dumb animal like myself, shout out, where are my people at? God's going to use it. Okay, I mean, he's going to use it. If you are bold and strong, God's going to use it. If you're a great host and you love hosting people, God's going to use it for his glory. He's saying whatever God gave you in your grace, use it. Fifth thing, we need this. Let's be a holy people. Let's be a holy people. Second Timothy 3 says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. 
for people who only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. <sighs> nothing sacred. A.K. holiness will not be a part of their DNA anymore. All holiness means is to have, to have things set apart and be sacred. What's sacred to you right now in your life? What is the things, in, and, and if you know anything about sacred, if I broke it down, sacred things are things that you prioritize and things you guard. So what are you prioritizing and what are you guarding? You should have sacred days and sacred times and sacred relationships. Like these are some things that are sacred to me. I have, I have sacred days. People say, hey, you want to get dinner on Saturday night? I can't. Who you got plans with? Jesus. I don't hang out with anybody on Saturday nights. I'm getting my heart ready, my mind ready, my body ready for Sunday because Sunday is very important to God and it's very important to me. So I have literally decided, I used to go out on Sundays and, and hang out and then I'd go home at 11 and I'd wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm preaching tomorrow morning. I'd be tired and, like, and I, I just wouldn't have my best for Sunday. Sunday is sacred to me, so I live it differently. The way I talk about God is sacred. The way I talk about relationships and people I love, it's sacred. The way I schedule my life, there are sacred moments in my life. And it says in the last days that people have nothing sacred. They won't have a mark of holiness on them at all. One of my favorite pastors said this, holiness is not the evidence that I've gained more ground with God. Holiness is the evidence that he's gained more ground in me. The more and more you fall in love with God and you become a follower of God, God's going to get more ground in your schedule, more ground in your emotions. He's going to get more ground in your priorities because holiness is not about you getting more of God. It's about God getting more of you. But here's what happens if we don't say yes to holiness. This is the byproduct. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. There's been this big movement about deconstructing the church and deconstructing Christianity. And there was some truth in it in the sense of this. There's a lot of bad church out there. There's a lot of bad church. You just show up, you hear somebody talk, and you go live their life. And people are upset because they weren't seeing lives changed. And the reality is, is that the only way that life has changed is not if we play church, not if we go to church, but if we fall in love with Jesus and become like Jesus. And so what it's saying is, if, hey, they're going to reject what is good, but they're going to act religious because they still want to have the little warm and fuzzies. We're not going to be the warm and fuzzy church. I will always make sure that you know that Jesus is all in all, the Alpha and Omega, the thing that you should fall in love with and be like. Now, we're almost done. I got six and seven, we're done. Let's get grace to people. Let's get grace to people. Here's the seven. We're going to put this on the Instagram. You're like, I, I forgot the seven. We're just going to put a list of seven on Instagram. And if people weren't at church, they're like, what are these? They're like, you should have been at church center. Okay, here we go. Um, <clears throat> kidding. We got grace. I'm talking about grace. I just called somebody center. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fall, fails to obtain the grace of God. And there's always a connection. I love how the scriptures are so plain with this. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become defiled. So the world that is cold and defiled and becoming so sinful, the antidote is see to it that nobody misses out on grace. What are you seeing too that people don't miss out on this week when you're around them? What are you, what are you, what are you trying to get to people? What are, you trying to, what are you trying to have them experience? Because grace is this free gift that nobody deserves. And it was given to me and I need to give it to other people. Man, to be gracious people, to be gracious to people who think differently 
You've heard me say this before. Our culture now is, if we disagree on 2%, we're 100% enemy. We, it's amazing. If we don't agree 100%, then we can't be friends anymore. That is what I call a lack of grace culture. You know what grace does? That's what I love. Rachel and I, married 10 years. I have gaps all over my, my being. Oh, I am, I am a messed up human being. And in our marriage, when I mess up, something we'll, we'll say is, can we let grace fill that gap? I'm gonna let grace fill your gaps. I'm gonna let grace fill my gap. I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna ask God to, to change that rhythm of my life, but that's a gap. Would you allow grace to fill that gap? Instead of being angry at me. And, and it's one of the greatest things in Rachel and I's marriage is we just let grace fill the gaps because we all got gaps. So let's take grace and go fill the gaps in the East Bay, amen? Last one, and we're done. We should live a life of urgency. We should live a life of urgency. I told you already, life is but a breath. It's but a, it's like a shadow. I, I, uh, I drove a stick shift for uh, my first eight years of my life. Anybody drive a stick shift? Even, yeah, yeah, okay. I loved it when I was trying to drive fast. Hated it in traffic. You know, the, the clutch, hated it. And God gave me this picture when I was praying for our church uh, and, and I was working on this message. And if you know anything about a stick shift, if you ever drive an, an, uh, uh, just a car that's automatic, you just hit the gas and it just drives around, does everything for you. But when you have a stick shift, you have to make sure that you are changing gears. If you stay in first gear and you try to drive up to 80 miles per hour, you can't. First gear is for going slow. Second gear, there's third gear, fourth gear, and of course, fifth gear. Some cars have sixth gear, and then of course, reverse. Some of you, you have been stuck in first gear for a long time of your life with the Lord. First gear would look like I come to church once in a while, kind of living for God. And I really believe this, that I've, I'm not a big speeder, like I'm just trying to really drive it fast. The only times I've driven really fast is when like I was almost dying from anaphylactic shock. And I was swelling up and I was driving the ER this one time and I had my, you know, stick shift and the movie Transporter just came out. You guys remember the movie Transporter? Jason Statham, great movie. If you don't know it, don't watch it, it's okay. Um, but like, I, was, I, I, I literally was like swelling up and I know if I don't get to the hospital fast enough, I'm going to die. So I remember getting in my Nissan Maxima stick shift and I remember just, woo, woo, woo. I was bobbing and weaving. And I knew if a cop pulled me over, it'd be a good thing because then he would give me an escort to the hospital. He would see me turning blue, my ears swelled. I'd be like, I gotta have like shot in the hospital. So I was hoping almost to get pulled over, okay? Um, and so I was driving really fast and I, I just had this sense of urgency. I gotta get to the hospital as fast as possible. I'd never changed gears so fast in my life. I'm believing in our church this next season, God is going to give you a sense of urgency to have you change gears like you've never changed before. That you're gonna learn that there is more in you. There's another gear in you. There is more in you to live for God. There's more in you to be generous and kind. You're gonna find this new grace gear in your life. And you're like, I didn't know I could be so gracious. You're gonna find this new generous gear in your life. I didn't know I could be so generous. You're gonna find a new priorities and schedule in your life. Like, I didn't know I could, I could be this focused in my life. God is gonna give you the strength because you can't do it in your will, not by power, not by might, but by spirit. But I'm believing in the name of Jesus, God is gonna change the gears in your life. Can I get amen for that? Uh, bow your heads, we're gonna pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that uh, you're so kind to let us know that uh, we're not going to be in the dark about when you're coming. But God, you shared it as a, as a warning, but also as something to just inspire and comfort your church that you are coming back for your bride. And so God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you that people in the house today, if you're brand new, with every head bowed and eye closed, you never heard the gospel message, you never heard about this Jesus. Oh, this God who died on the cross, conquered the grave, literally came to 
this earth just so you can be saved and encounter his love. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, someone's tugging on our heart, I want to say yes to salvation. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye if you want to say yes to Jesus. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it up if you want to say yes to Jesus. I see you and I see you. Anybody else? Go ahead and raise it up. It's a great decision. I see you. It's a great decision. All right, this is a question for our church. And you, as I was preaching, Holy Spirit's doing something in your heart, and you're like, man, there's more in me. I know I, I know I need to change some gears. I need to order my life a little different. Order my steps, Lord. And if you just feel this desire to go to the next level in your life and the next gear in your life, will you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you as your pastor. Would you raise it up? My hands all over. God bless you. I love our church. I love your desire. God, I thank you for the hands that are raised. And God, I pray that you would give them not, not a checklist to follow, but God, a desire of not a have to, but Lord, would you change their spirit into a get to? That, that you literally change our wants. God, would you give them grace to run, grace to love, grace to forgive. God, this East Bay region desperately needs your love and your truth. And would you give us the right words and the right spirit to change it? God, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.